Welcome to the Share Life Podcast with Jason Scott Montoya, where we explore stories and systems to live better and work smarter. As Glenn mentions in this podcast, he's betting his life on how he understands his health situation and what he should do to gain the healing he desires. He discusses failures and successes through his medical journey. The focus of this conversation is to learn about Glenn's story and the lessons he learned, not on the merit of his medical intervention argument. While we discuss his medical condition and various forms of treatment, the information provided should not be used for diagnosing or treating a health problem or disease. A powerful way to discover the truth is just to deeply challenge our own assumptions of what we believe and to seek out competing information and perspectives from the strongest people, groups, and institutions, and to invite the strongest arguments against our own. A dialectic between the best arguments for and against something are how we can deeply understand all facets and learn to discern what is most true as we make the best decision we can. Welcome to another inspirational people interview on the Share Life podcast. Today I'm speaking with speaker, trainer, and author Glenn Carver. Glenn, say hello. Hello, Jason. How are you today? Doing pretty well. Good to have you here for the conversation. Uh, Glenn's the author of a book called Stand in the Heat, um, which is a series of interviews with various entrepreneurs and um, a great read if, if you're uh, into, interested in the entrepreneurial pathway. Uh, Glenn and I originally met years and years and years ago, probably through the Gwinnett Chamber um, and through some mutual friends that were involved with uh, Sales Partners, which was connected to a guy named Blair Singer and Robert Kiyosaki. Uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, for those of you who know who he is. Anyways, we've, me and Glenn have known each other. We've uh, had many lunches. We've worked together um, and just uh, had, had done life together in many, many ways. Um, anyway, the, I wanted to reconnect with Glenn, and so I invited him to back on the podcast because he has quite a story um, and working on his second book uh, where he writes that. But we're going to talk about some of that story, um, which ended up hitting him in uh, 2021. In August, uh, COVID, we were the second year into the pandemic, and uh, um, Glenn and his wife were at home, and Glenn was quarantining from his wife who had COVID, and she noticed he wasn't sounding right. Something about his breathing was wrong. So, Glenn, take it from there and tell us uh, what was going on. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Thanks for having me on your podcast. It's great to reconnect with you always. Um, yeah, life changed for me immensely early morning, August 15th. It was a Sunday morning in 2021. Um, like you just mentioned, my, my wife, Lisa, had COVID the week before, and she and I were trying to be responsible, and we were sleeping on different floors. She was upstairs in our bedroom. I was downstairs on the couch, and I have no problem sleeping on a couch anyway. <laughs> it was but, for uh, a good reason this time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I was not in the doghouse. But, um, yeah, early that morning, she heard me from upstairs making some very strange sounds, some very strange exhaling sounds, and uh, she thought I was having a nightmare or a bad dream. She came out of the bedroom, looked over the balcony, and I had my arms out in front of me like I was playing this imaginary piano, and my eyes were closed, and I was wheezing and huffing and puffing and she started yelling my name glenn glenn are you okay are you okay and i didn't respond so she came downstairs started shaking me and um i didn't come too so she mm -hmm. thank goodness for her her good sense yeah uh, she got me up somehow my my, my dead weight off the couch and yeah got i assume me you don't remember this moment at all rush me to the i i assume you don't remember I, that actually i do Once you, oh yeah. okay yeah, 
yeah, once she got me up on my feet, I, I came to enough that I could, mm. I could walk some. Um, so she dumped me into the car, the passenger seat of the car, and rushed me to uh, Northside Cherokee Hospital emergency room about 12 minutes away. And fortunately, it was uh, really empty that time of the week. So they got me in very quickly and uh, very quickly assessed me with COVID, uh, double pneumonia, and a blood oxygen level of 45. Wow. Um, if you know anything about that number, I did not until I experienced it. 90 is low. Uh, 45 is life-threatening. You're talking potential cognitive damage. You're talking potential organ failure. Um and, What's and, and, no, uh, normal, uh, the normal number, just day-to-day? -day. Normal, you want to be 98. Oh, okay. You want to be 98 to 100. So uh, you 90 is low. Yeah, yeah, I was half. So when the technician the technician told my wife I was 45, they said it's the lowest they'd ever seen. And she said, you mean during COVID? And, and he said, no, the lowest we've ever seen in this hospital. So wow. miracle number one, Jason, was I... I survived that day. Easily could have uh, been left, could have left in a body bag or been left with organ failure or, or some level of uh, what I call Dane Bramage. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that seems like it went really fast. So were you, were you ill like the days before that or did it just hit you all of a sudden like? Yeah, great question. You know, a few days before I felt just a tad achy, a tad achy and a tad nauseous, but nothing major. I just figured I was getting, never been sick a day in my life other than the flu bug, 24 hours, 48 hours. I figured I was uh, getting something like that. It did never occur to me that I might have COVID. So when I got that diagnosis, um, uh, it all it all made sense. Okay. I, yeah, I got hit by, a, I, as one of my doctors said, I got struck by a bolt of lightning. Wow. And so you get to the hospital um, are you conscious at that point or what's the situation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very conscious, um, conscious enough to remember them getting me undressed and putting me in the sexy blue hospital <laughs> gown and the, 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 the bright yellow grippy socks. And they stuck me into the big uh, General Electric uh, CAT scan. And uh, that's when they determined that I, you know, I had the COVID and double pneumonia. And, and, and what um, does double pneumonia mean? Does that just mean two lungs? Both or lungs. Is it... Okay. Yeah. Both lungs, because why? Why do one? Why? Why have single <laughs> when pneumonia? You can have, when you can have double pneumonia. Why yeah, yeah. have both? <laughs> so I do so, remember. Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say. Um, I think it was that afternoon after they had assessed me, and I was, uh, you know, headed to the ICU. I asked one of the one of the nurses. I said, "You know, how long do you think I'm gonna be here?" Because I'm thinking in my mind, I'm getting a few shots. I'm getting some oxygen. I'm out of here in two or three days and everything's good. And she said, oh, you're going to be here at least a couple of weeks. And, wow. uh, you know, after I picked my chin up off the ground, <laughs> I said, two weeks? I can't be here two weeks. I've got a business to run. I've got a life to live. I can't be here two weeks. Ninety-six days later, I left the ICU at Northside Cherokee Hospital. Wow. So are you, would you say that you just didn't think it was a big deal? Were you in denial? Were you panicking? Were you just like, hey, I need to move on? Um, I don't think I was in, I wasn't in denial. Um, I just, I never thought it was just hitting me like that. 
Um, you know, COVID hits different people very differently. Yeah. And uh, the plot the plot thickens a whole lot. This is only this is just the beginning of the story. Uh, two weeks into my ICU stay, um, my colon burst. I mm. uh, started having internal bleeding. And as um, a result it, of, of the sickness or unrelated? A number or, of things. We may never know. Um, probably um, due to the, the, the cocktail of meds I was on, um, including remdesivir, which is uh, just evil on 100 levels. Um, I might have had some mild diverticulitis. Um, but, uh, yeah, the storm, the perfect storm really came to be when uh, my colon burst and had to have emergency colon surgery on September 2nd. Um, to keep from going septic and then going dead. Yeah. So those first two weeks, you're you're just laying in the bed. You're mostly norm, you know, normal on oxygen, or are you unconscious? Or are you? Uh, I was, what's... I was, yeah, conscious and aware. Uh, those first two weeks, I mean, hooked up to every wire and device that they have in the ICU on oxygen. Um, after my colon surgery came out, I was in a coma for three weeks, or as they described as a, uh, a medicated nap. Okay. Um, I did you said three uh, weeks. What's that? They, you said for three weeks. Yeah, was in a was in a coma for three weeks, and that was really when it was touch and go. Um, there was significant concern whether or not I would survive and come out of that. that did you go? Did you go into that knowing that possibility? No. Okay. Now, um, I mean, there's always there are always risks when you have a, a major surgery. I mean, I I lost 18 inches of my upper colon. Um, hmm. we, because we, still of the, because... we, we still can't find it. <laughs> it's floating around in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'll yeah. just take a little segue here because you're you seem to this is a pretty dark and and scary thing that happened to you. But you have a lot of humor about it. So what's going on there? Well, A, um, I'm just extremely grateful and blessed to be alive. Um, yeah, it was darkest. It was darker for my wife and my family than for me. Okay. I mean, for three weeks, I was just on, uh, you know, Profofol and some, you know, cocktail of drugs that kept me in a fantasy land. I had some absolutely bizarre psychedelic dreams some of those i talk about in my book advantage yep. of adversity so you remember oh, you do remember them oh yeah i remember a lot of dreams a lot of crazy yeah. dreams but um you know looking back on all this um i know that god spared my life in that icu there's absolutely no doubt i know in every fiber of my being he spared my life there are three separate occasions when i could have died and probably should have yeah and um and I didn't. And, yeah. Um, the, but the death toll was just stunning during the COVID era of, of the ICU. Yeah. So um, let's, let's. So I've got to. It's just me. It's my nature to to see the lighter side of things and not get too heavy. Yeah. Because, like I said, God bless. I'm here. So let's let's dive into that a little bit before we continue with the story. You said God spared your life, and and your and you, your faith has become a real important part of it. In fact, it's part of your book title, uh, your working book title. So. Where were you in your relationship with God before this happened? Oh, fantastic question. I mean, I've always been faithful. 
I've always believed in God, believed in the higher power, the universal mind, whatever you want to call it, God, universal mind. You know, Napoleon Hill called it the cosmic habit force. You know, whatever label you put on, uh, you know, the field. There's so many ways to describe God. I've always been a believer. Um, But after what I experienced and survived, Jason, my faith is probably, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm probably a 12. Um, I just know that uh, that God spared my life to continue to be Grant's daddy. You know, I'm 56 with a 13-year-old. I was not going anywhere. No way. Yeah. No way in H-E double toothpicks <laughs> was I leaving that boy alone. And now I know I've got a, I've got a tremendous purpose um, to tell to tell an incredible story. My testimony, I believe, is going to be extremely powerful, and that's going to be a testimony of faith and mindset. And I believe that with the right faith and mindset, you can accomplish anything you can possibly imagine. Other than me becoming a professional basketball player, <laughs> I, think, I think anything is possible. Yeah. So is any of that, in terms of your faith, is any of that in these first five weeks, is that is that becoming more real then or is that is that come in later? No, it's 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 real, but it comes it comes in more powerful when I come out of my coma because uh, one of the chapters in my book is called The Wall of Hope. So okay. my bed is I'm imagine I'm laying in my hospital bed and I'm looking at you and that wall behind you, that entire yeah. wall, my sister and my wife just plastered that wall with pictures of family and my dogs and powerful motivational content and, you know, uh, Bible verses and just anything that was um, conducive to me seeing my way out. Yeah. I was focused on that. And I, I just, I focused 24 seven on, I'm getting out of here. Mm. I, there's no way I, you know, unfortunately a lot, most, a vast majority of people died in the ICU going through, uh, through COVID. But, um, you know, I just felt like if, if Victor Frankl, who wrote the landmark book, Man's Search for Meaning, if he could make it out of, and I thought about this a lot, if he could make it out of the concentration cans, camps and live to tell his story, I wanted to be a version of him. I wanted yeah. to come out of this and, uh, and tell my story for a very long time. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, three or four years ago, I put one of my most powerful affirmations up on my bathroom mirror. Who knows? Maybe it was prophetic. Maybe it was in preparation for this. But one of my number, one of my most powerful affirmations, Jason, is I will be speaking on an international stage when I'm 100 years of age. <laughs> and uh, that presupposes that, first of all, I'm going to live to be 100. And fine print says without uh, drooling or wearing a diaper. <laughs> so, you know, it got dark. Like you said, you, you nailed the perfect word. It was dark. It was a very dark time period, about as dark as it gets. But uh, in my core, in, you know, my, my, my mindset, and my belief and faith in God, I knew that I knew that I was going to make it out of there. Yeah. So you had that vision. So what, yes. what would you say to someone? Maybe they're not listening or watching because they're they're in that situation you were in. But you're talking to their spouse, their kids. You know, it's Lisa or Grant. What would you tell them? I would say believe. I would say believe. Um you know, I know not everybody has the faith that you and I have. I mean, there are devout Christians and devout atheists, but you got to believe in something. Um, 
You know, I said, you know, regardless of what you label it or what you believe, this will happen 100 times out of 100 times. Yeah. Whatever you call it, whatever you label it, we call it gravity. There's a power. There's a consciousness. There's a life force. There's an intelligence out there that, that we call God that is real. Quantum, I call it quantum physics, the laws of the universe. Um, you got to believe in something. But belief, belief is everything. Your mind, your mindset, Jason, can literally heal you or it can kill you. Um, and just like many of the people who didn't make it out of the concentration camps with Viktor Frankl, they gave up. They gave up their will to live and they died. And um, it's, 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 it's beyond humbling to have learned that I became a quote unquote celebrity in the ICU because of my positive attitude. And yeah. it really lifted up a lot of the doctors and nurses. They, this guy's going to make it out. I mean, I knew it. My family knew it. God knew it. And uh, there was so much death at that time frame that they were they were thrilled to see somebody with a wonderful attitude who knew they were going to make it out. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah belief, belief, belief is everything. So what I'm here, I kind of at, at the high level, it's it's the difference between hope and despair, right? And yes. holding on to the hope versus falling into the despair that can so easily consume us all. It can consume us instantly, instantly. Even the strongest, the strongest willed, strongest mind people are not immune from, from negativity and fear and anxiety and uncertainty. I've always said that we all have, we all have these cosmic curveballs swirling above our head. Some are good, some are bad. Um, on August 15th of 2021, I got tattooed with a bad curveball. But it's how you deal with the adversity, um, the bad news, the negativity, how you how you respond to that and how you process it is going to determine your life. Literally, yeah. in some cases, whether you live or die. Yeah. So, uh, you know, maybe because I wrote a book called Stand in the Heat in 2012, I was uh, I was prepared for this moment. I hope I didn't yeah. attract it. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Who knows? So. Okay, so it's three weeks, you're out of the coma, um, then what happens? Uh, out of the coma, on, a, on the ventilator, got a full uh, got a full tracheostomy, so got that okay. battle scar to yeah. part of my story. Um, really and laid in bed in a survival mode, was on tons of uh, kidney dialysis. Um, as one of my favorite ICU nurses told me afterwards, you know, I was on remdesivir, uh, which can cause kidney failure within about four days. Um, we did not want to be on remdesivir, but that, that's a whole other. The purpose of this conversation is yeah. not an indictment of the medical industrial <laughs> complex, but suffice it to say, uh, a lot of the things that work and work back then and work now um, are not available because of the COVID protocol that's being was being pushed down from the top. Um, so it was, it was the fight for my life continued. Um, it's a miracle I came home without an oxygen tank or without a dialysis machine. It truly is. In terms so, of a permanent damage? Is that what you mean? It's, it's exactly. In terms of permanent damage. Um, yeah, things got really iffy uh, for quite a while. A lot of complications after the, the colon surgery um, and after Just effects. by the of, nature of the surgery or uh, because of something else? Yeah, I would say the nature of the surgery, but also the, the, the drugs that I were on. I mean, I've got two college buddies who were 
livid to the point of almost bearing arms and breaking me out of the hospital because of being on remdesivir. And my, yeah. my wife was trying to get uh, uh, ivermectin and monoclonal antibodies and the, the stuff that's been proven to work. Um, so we won't go down that rabbit trail right now. But yeah, it was uh, it, it was really sketchy for quite a while. But at, just physically... at three weeks in, did you still actually have COVID after the after you woke up from the coma? Yeah, that's <clears throat> that's that's a good question. Um, or were you dealing more with all the after for my, effects for my wife than me? Because a lot of the stuff is uh, is missing in my mind. Mm. Um, so she's had to help you put some of the pieces back together. Yeah, she's got a journal. Oh, okay. Exactly. So, so as you write your to... book, is, is is she kind of the co-author then? She, uh, you could almost say that. <laughs> Parts of it, certainly in, certainly in section one. So section yeah. one is about the ICU. Section two is about, uh, you know, we haven't even talked about yet my cancer diagnosis. And then section three is about, you know, the how-tos of, of overcoming adversity or finding the advantage in adversity and, you know, what really what's yeah. in it for the reader. Okay. So you're, you're a month into this, you're there for three months. So what happens in months two and three? Why are you still at the hospital for two more months? Oh, because I literally, uh, literally withered away. Um, you know, atrophy is, is for real. Um, it's killer. And the medical term is uh, critical illness myopathy. Um, you know, when you don't move for five weeks, your body and you don't you you don't use your muscles. You're not in motion. Your body withers away. Um, like dying while you're alive. I'm sorry. Dying while you're alive, essentially. Well, physically, I mean, uh, yeah. I became a rag doll. I was effectively paralyzed from the waist down. I could use my arms, but I couldn't. I couldn't sit up in bed. I couldn't roll over on my side, um, you know, could could barely stand up, needed help. Um, you know, I was getting all kinds of occupational and physical therapy and speech therapy. And it was just a, a massive combination of trying to recover from 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 withering away. I lost mm -hmm. uh, probably 50 pounds in the, uh, in the ICU in those 96 days, a lot of that muscle. Um, I was over 200 pounds going in this, you know, right now I weigh 142. Yeah. So but I like being thin. I can, I have one chin, <laughs> I can see my jawline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a whole new person. That's You're right. Born again. <laughs> That's it. Hey, in every sense of those two words, I've been born again, spiritually and physically. Amen to that. Yeah. Literally. So, yeah. So how, what point do you get to where you can finally leave the hospital? Like what was the reason they said, okay, you're ready to go. Well, I finally could, uh, at, at one, at, eventually I was able to breathe on my own without assistance, whether that was the ventilator or the, uh, Optiflow or the BiPAP. I had enough oxygen, I had enough ability back in my lungs. I eventually overcame the COVID and had the, and the double pneumonia and had the ability to breathe on my own. Yeah. And that's when you can, that's when you can leave the hospital. So got okay. off the ventilator. Um, I had a Passy Muir device connected to my neck so I could speak. There was a two week period where I couldn't even speak. Oh, wow. As a speaker, that freaked me out. <laughs> I'm never going to get it, my voice back. 
Mm. I mean, for two weeks, I was using sign language with my wife and the nurses, and nobody's good at that. And I had to use a pen to scratch questions mm. on a notepad or a, or a white eraser board. And, um, you know, my cognitive ability was, uh, was a fraction of normal for a time period. So I was going through speech therapy, uh, occupational therapy, physical therapy, trying to get to a point where I could leave the damn ICU and go home. So in, in your head, do you feel normal, but your body's not responding? Or is it, even in your head, you're kind of like not all able to kind of be your normal self, consciously? Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't all there initially. Um, yeah. I freaked Lisa out. Um, she asked me to spell certain words. Now I had a pen and a pad of paper, and she told me to spell uh, or, or add two plus two when I was lost. She asked me to spell yeah. apple and I think I might have gotten two letters out. That's when she realized, this isn't good. Is he going to come out of this? Is he going to be yeah. normal again? There was some really, it was a lot more scary for her than it was me. Yeah. And, and what are some of the ways she was able to navigate that without losing hope herself? Yeah, a lot of prayer. Um, a lot of people in church praying. And it's it's immensely humbling how many people across the country were praying for me, people I don't know and probably never will meet, people in different churches around the country. So uh, we had a, a massive support system, thank God. Um, lots of wonderful friends and family members who supported us both emotionally and financially. I was out of work for a year. And after the ICU, I went to uh, outpatient physical therapy for a month or we don't know how to walk. So it was rough, brother. I mean, it was yeah. a year of just being knocked out of life. Yeah. So, well, speak but to not the completely. community. Yeah, yeah. You got knocked down, but you got up. Um, yes. So speak to that idea that the community piece, like a lot of people go into crisis and they don't have that. Um, but talk about what you did beforehand to cultivate that and, and talk more about the importance of it. Well, I've always been a, I've always you know, on the disc chart, I'm a high I influencer. Okay. Yeah. Um, off the charts, I, that's just who I yeah. am. I love people. I love networking. I'm a sales business development guy. So I've always been out and about as long as we've known each other, really my whole life. I love, I love building networks and big, big part, as big a part of the community as I can be. And you know, the, the legendary um, Harvey McKay wrote the landmark book. Um, What's the book he, uh, Swim of the Sharks Not Being Eaten Alive? Oh. <laughs> One of his philosophies is um, dig your well before you're thirsty. Yeah. And I've always loved that. You know, dig your well before you're thirsty. When you have a wonderful network or community, um, you never know when you're going to need to lean on it. And, and we did. And uh, our community came through us uh, in a beautiful fashion with, with you know, with you know, like I say, financially, and emotionally, whether it was cash, whether it was, you know, gift cards to Publix, whether it was, you know, pay, you know, cell phone payments, you could, anything you can imagine, people chipped in and helped. It was, it was almost overwhelming. Yeah. Food, it's just phenomenal. Can't is, imagine is that, having gone through this without our friends yeah. and, 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 and community. Is that the grace of God on your life? I think so. Yeah. I, I really think so. Um, I would agree with that a thousand percent. Otherwise I'd be dead. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite 
uh, ICU nurses, nurses, a gentleman named Lucas Urea. He was a former army medic. He spent nine months in Afghanistan and he saw his share of death and body bags. And he was in the ICU at Northside Cherokee during COVID for two and a half years. And he said the death toll there was orders of magnitude bigger than the battlefield. And he told me three separate times, because I almost didn't believe it. I said, look, tell me the story again. It's hard to believe. But he said, in his two and a half years working at the ICU during COVID, Northside Cherokee, he saw three people, one, two, three people go through the entire COVID protocol, including remdesivir and the ventilator. He saw three people come off the ventilator and leave the hospital outside of a body bag. Yeah. So and for one of you those to three. survive was just a huge, big deal. It's miraculous. Yeah. A miracle. It's miraculous. Um, yeah. Grace of God. Absolutely. No question. Yeah. So anything else in that 90 days that you want to share before we jump to the next part? Yeah. I mean, October 16th, uh, ventilator came off my, came off my, uh, my trach, um, lost oxygen for long enough that my heart stopped beating. And then wow. uh, code blue, the code blue alarms went off in the ICU. Code blue means somebody react immediately or somebody's going to die. Mm. Uh, fortunately, my, my said buddy Lucas was down the hall and uh, thank God he was on duty and he knew what to do. He came in and he immediately did, as they sounded the alarm, he did three rounds of compression on my chest. And I don't remember any of this. Uh, brought me back. Wow. Um, so between, uh, you know, between day one going in with a 45 level blood oxygen to you know, the three week coma to going code blue. I mean, certainly you can make a case that three times I should have died. So I'm not, uh, I'm not sure how many lives I have left. I just, I just need <laughs> one more that lasts for a well, long I guess, time. I guess the question is, are you a cat? <laughs> You know, I'm not a cat person. I'm a dog person, but maybe maybe I'm a cat. I'll take it. I'll be a cat if I need to be a cat. Yeah. There's a new movie called Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Okay. And and it's about uh, Puss the Cat from Trek. And okay. the premise of the story is he has nine lives, and then he realizes all of a sudden that he's spent eight of them, and he's on his last life. And um, so he's, dealing, he's facing death and having to deal with it. So... Pretty, it's a pretty good movie. I probably need to. I probably need to watch that one. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. So, um, anything else in the the ninety days other than the code code, code blue? That's worth think, sharing. Yeah, I think that's. I think we got the the good stuff. The highlights. Okay. So you come home. You think. You think the um, the what do you? How do you? How, you said um, crisis or or suffering. Like how, what was the word you used? Um, adversity you you go yes. you think you're done with the adversity and it's like no that was just the first part of it so you're, yeah, you're that was still the first half. yeah so your your health you know obviously you're frailer than you were before um and all of a sudden you get this diagnosis so tell us about that yeah so i came home december 8th of 2021 um february 2nd of 2022 Went in for the second colonoscopy of my life at 54 years old, and they found a mass in my rectum. 
Uh, two days later, February 4th, I was diagnosed with colorectal cancer. So um, that was the, so the ICU was the left uppercut. The diagnosis <laughs> was the right hook, um, but it didn't go down. Yeah. It didn't go down. Now you couldn't, yeah, I was going to say, because of the health, because of where you had gone through, you were kind of limited in terms of healing remedies or healing approaches. So you had to kind of figure out another path, right? Yeah, we we picked another path because uh, after the uh, after the colon surgery, I was left with a bag, a colostomy bag that was supposed to be temporary, ninety days, and that was the mm. nature of the colonoscopy was to check everything out, you know, scope me out, make yeah. sure I'm aesthetic, <laughs> make sure I can schedule uh, an effective reversal surgery, and that's when they found the uh, the mass. So, um. We ventured down the conventional pathway uh, immediately because that was recommended to us by the doctors because that's what they know. Standard yeah. of care. Standard of care for cancer is chemo radiation surgery. Well, I was so compromised after spending three months in the ICU that uh, we felt like chemo probably could have killed me. Mm -hmm. And it probably would have, you know, a lot of people die from chemo before they die of cancer or any type of conventional treatment. Um, I've actually got, I've still got a, a port in my chest right here because I was supposed to start chemo on March 16th of last year. And somehow we got the nudge. We got the nudge quick enough as Lisa dove deep into, uh, into uh, our options. And she discovered a gentleman named Chris Wark. W-A-R-K. He wrote a phenomenal book called Chris Beat Cancer. If any of our listeners have ever been touched by cancer or know anybody who has, that's a great book to read. It just it will open your eyes to the alternative ways to heal from cancer other than chemo and radiation. And uh, we jumped all in, um, said no now, to Now, where are you mentally? Where are you and Lisa mentally? Like, you, you feel like you finished the race and now you're starting another one. Are you... Are you freaking out? Or are you sad? Or are you depressed? Or are you still pretty positive? Yeah. Somehow I stayed positive. Um, maybe because I wrote a book called Stand in the Heat, I was prepared for <laughs> it. Um, I did not freak out. Um, I did not go into a state of fear and anxiety and depression. You know, I think I, I think I realized immediately why, if God spared my life, if by the grace of God, my life was spared in that ICU, Jason. Why? Why would I die of cancer a year later? That just makes no. That made no sense to me. It made no spiritual sense to me. I believe my life was spared for a reason, and I believe that reason is my testimony for the rest of my long life. You know, a testimony of faith and mindset, and teaching people how to find the opportunity in adversity. So. I did not. I did not freak out about the diagnosis. And one thing we've learned, and this might be the most important thing we talk about, is that cancer is not a death sentence, Jason. It is a. It is a metabolic condition. It is an emotional condition. I created it, and God and I are going to heal me from it. Um, but there are certain parts of the medical industrial complex who will attempt to. Put the fear put the fear into you to get on a certain treatment path that's very very profitable and uh yeah I'll leave that so at that. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. We won't dive into that. But what? Um, so what are you're exploring these alternative options? Um, what? Like, and then you read this guy's book. Um, I know you've, and then you found some ways to to do this treatment. So how did how did things unfold? Was it a slow process? Did you find quick results? Are you still going through the process? Oh, I'm still going through it. I'm not I'm not out of the woods. I'm I'm stage four. That's a label that doesn't freak me out at all. Um, so I've got uh, I've got colorectal cancer with metastasis to my liver. Some nodules. Um, and it's you know you don't turn a battleship in a bathtub quickly. You know this takes time. All of us are born with cancer cells. Most of us get cancer at some point in our life, but our immune system knocks it out. Imagine that. So I've got a dear friend whose cousin was stage four with breast cancer, and uh, she decided to go the alternative route, went to a, uh, there are many clinics in Mexico that offer alternative treatments that you can't get in the U.S. Last May, May of 2022, I spent the whole month of May in Mexico getting, getting alternative treatments. Um, I continue to be on a whole food plant-based diet. It's amazing what we've learned, Jason. Just about any chronic dis-ease can be cured through God's pharmacy. What comes out of the ground, um, the nutrients that come out of the ground, plus great supplementation. Um, and like I've mentioned a thousand times, my, my trinity, my trifecta for healing is faith, mindset, and nutrition. Um, yeah. Nutrition for the metabolic component. And uh, for the emotional component is uh, is my faith and mindset, and um, so it's just now, so. How do yeah? Well, how do you reconcile? You know, like I look at someone like Steve Jobs who also pursued um, these alternative paths, and it didn't necessarily work out for him. So, how do you reconcile right. when it's appropriate or when it's not, or how to just how to approach that? Yeah, it's an amazingly personal decision. Um, after I got out of the ICU and um, shortly after my diagnosis, I was going to a center here in my backyard for to deal with uh, post-COVID neuropathy in my feet. And after I got diagnosed, I was, I was speaking to a brilliant chiropractor and he said, you know, at some point in the near future, Glenn, you're going to come to a fork in the road and you're going to have to choose between conventional treatment or alternative treatment. And he was very serious, and I wasn't ready for that. That was a little bit scary. I mean, it takes it takes guts to say no to an industry, especially when you get all involved in their paradigm of, of the world. And to say no to all that, I feel like um, I'm literally betting my life on what I believe. And, yeah. Um, I've said this to my wife several times, and it sounds kind of cryptic, but I've already accepted my death. I mean, I really have. Yeah. And I mean that in a positive way. I mean, I know uh, um, based on my faith where I'm going, and um, if I were to die, that would be a beautiful place. But I think because I've accepted that emotionally, that's not going to happen. Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a dance. I mean, you can go to... You can go to the World Series of Poker in Vegas and put all chips in. You can put a hundred thousand dollars in or a million dollars in. If you lose it, you get up and you walk away and you live to play another day, another round. Um, but I'm I'm betting my life on what I believe in. My my healing 
is between me and God. It's not between me and anybody in a white coat. Yeah. So, um, you're, so I guess, where does that put you today? Right now I'm in a state, my last CT scan, I'm stable. My, uh, my tumor hasn't grown. It hasn't reduced. It's stable, which in the alternative world is a huge victory. You know, first you got to get, first you got to stop something from growing, pause, and then get it to reduce. Um, it doesn't happen overnight unless you, unless you have a radical remission or some supernatural miraculous healing. And I know somebody who's experienced that, um, after being baptized. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the longer path that I believe, uh, we've chosen, but it's the path that's right for me. And, um, my intention is to reduce it naturally so I can have an effective reversal surgery. And what does the reversal surgery do? Oh, removing the, the colostomy bag that I'm. That oh, I'm okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Ideally, I mean, being alive with a bag is better than being dead without one. Um, yeah. But if I but could be alive without one, that'd be that'd be even better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to return to normalcy. Yeah. So this whole story kind of revolves around this idea of adversity. So tell us kind of what your what you learned, what the takeaway is, where that kind of brings you in terms of just yeah, your great own... question. So you know what what is the advantage of adversity, which is the title of my next book that'll be out in the fall. I, you know I believe that um, it's the decision, it's the choice to find the opportunity in adversity. Because as long as human beings are walking this earth, Jason, there's going to be adversity. It's just, it's human nature. Whether it's personal or professional adversity, there's always adversity. Um, I'm a huge fan of the late Jim Rohn. Um, he was phenomenal. He's one of our, our great motivational speakers. He was a business philosopher. He was, he was Tony Robbins' original mentor. And he did one of his live events in the, in the 80s. And afterwards, one of his attendees came up to him and said, Mr. Rohn, um, in your opinion, what is the business climate going to look like for the next three to five years? Which is a great question. And without hesitation, he said, well, it's going to, probably going to be the same it's been for the past 10,000 years. Adversity with a chance of opportunity. And I just love that. That's, that's just always that, that tattooed my brain when I first heard that. And there's always going to be adversity. But how do you deal with it? How do you perceive it? How do you move forward? Is going to depend the quality of your life, and I think the uh, I think the poster child of um, opportunity and adversity uh, recently is is Zoom and what we're doing right now. <laughs> you yeah. think about this, and I heard this a couple of years ago. I don't know if it's still true, but I heard a couple of years ago because of the pandemic and the whole world going online that Zoom, this you know tech startup out of Silicon Valley. Zoom had a market cap larger than Ford and GM combined. Yeah. And that just what well, blew my mind. Yeah. Well, it kind of, you know, it helps kind of standardize it because Zoom was around before the pandemic. But when it hit, all of a sudden everyone's using it, whether they wanted to or not. So it sort of forced adoption. And then, yes. a lot, then all the value kind of probably to maybe even to too much. Uh, people are like, well, why meet when we could just Zoom, you know? And right. so um, it probably went too far the other direction, which I think we can recover some of that and kind of find right. a good mix between the two in terms of in-person versus digital. 
but yeah, it, it really changed the game in a lot of ways and, and uh, many of which I benefit. And kind of you, you talked a bit about like going through this experience. Um, for me, you know, when I shut down my marketing couple, marketing company, Noodlehead Marketing, um, in 2013 and 14, ended it in April of 2014, I went, it was pretty rough. It was a pretty rough experience making that transition. It was almost like a death for me. Like I was, my Dutch, my sure. child was dying, you know, this sure, entrepreneurial dream. And, um, but in many ways that experience prepared me for the pandemic. And, um, and you've kind of talked a bit about that, that some of your past experiences, the book and whatnot kind of prepared you for this journey. Anything yes. else you could say about that or that you would want to say about that? Like, before you went into the fire, you got a little bit of preparation. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, preparation prevents urgency. Um, dig your well before you're thirsty. Yeah. That speaks to having a wonderful network and community around you. You know, it's probably why, why solitary, confinement, solitary confinement in prison is the ultimate torture. Mm -hmm. We need people. We need association. We need relationships. Yeah. We need love. We're dependent. Yeah, yeah totally, totally. Um, but, um, you know, know, know why you're here. Go deep. Know why you're here. Why did God put you on earth? <clears throat> I know why he put me here. Um, and I know that's why I'm still here. But know why you exist. What's your mission? What's your purpose? How are you going to show up in the world? Um, what kind of legacy are you going to leave? Um, you know, you mentioned Steve Jobs. What, what? What size dent are you going to put in the universe? I mean, yeah. I live to communicate and contribute, and I love helping. I love helping train on mindset and uh, helping people think bigger. People, individuals, and organizations, yeah, um, think bigger, realize their greatest potential, so the organization can realize its greatest potential. But ultimately, it's you know, you and I, individuals, thinking bigger. Um, handling adversity in a positive way and looking for opportunity because opportunity is everywhere. Yeah. So through this experience, how do you think about living better and working smarter? What does that mean to you now? Ooh, well, living better. I'm a lot, I'm a lot cleaner than I've ever been. My diet is immaculate. Um, you know, it's funny. One of my dear friends, asked me last year, he said, we were talking about the subject of centurions, people who live to be 100. He said, Glenn, what do all centurions have in common? And I said, uh, well, obviously, they have a great attitude and a vision for a long life. He said, nope, nope they're all thin. <laughs> That's simple. So I got I got that piece down. Um, but yeah, I've cleaned up my act. Hey, there was, a, there was a period in my life where I was drinking way too much. Um, I admit it. That's not healthy either. So from a metabolic standpoint, I've completely overhauled my life. And, um, you know, spiritually, I feel like I've absolutely been born again. Um, my faith is immense, very clear about where I'm headed, um, giving myself a lot of grace for self-anger and shame that I've put on myself over the years which by the way, every form of cancer has its own unique emotional root and colorectal is the self anger. So I've never considered myself an angry guy. And I think anybody who knows me would agree with that, but I've had a lot of self anger. So right now I'm and going to- How do you define that? 
what would you say is uh, self-anger? Well, me personally, I just thought I'd be much further along professionally and financially at this mm -hmm. age. Um, and despite all intentions, things don't always work out. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, there's a lot. I hope there's a lot of runway left. But um, the one thing that the my, my ICU nurses kept telling me when I was such a rag doll and could barely move is they said, you know, give yourself some grace. That was their mantra. Give yourself grace. So I'm working on that now, giving myself grace, um, forgiving yeah. myself for how I've judged myself in the past and shamed myself in the past and been angry at Glenn Carver in the past. Trying my best to let go of all of that. Um, I'm here. I'm alive. Got a beautiful wife and a beautiful son. Great friends like you. Great community. Um, I mean, just game on. Sky's the limit. Yeah. So talk about mentoring, because I think that's um, obviously as a speaker and a trainer, you're, that's your profession is mentoring people. Um, but it's also been a big part of who you are in terms of the people that have mentored you over the years. So yeah. talk about um, mentorship. What is, how do you think about it? What does it mean to you? Well, I think it's critical um, for anybody and everybody. Everybody should have a, have a mentor and a coach. And uh, one of my mentors was was Wayne Dyer. And I remember I met him once in person in 1994. That was a great day in my life. He used to say, your mentors don't have to be alive. They can be they can be other yeah. speakers, authors, trainers. So I've got many mentors that I've yeah. never met, like Stephen Covey and, um, you know, Tony Robbins, um, uh, you know, uh, Harvey McKay. Um, my father was a great mentor to me. He was one of the most positive people who's ever walk the earth. So mentorship, coaching is critical. If you want to move from A to B in your life, A is point A is right now, this moment in time. If you want to move from point A to point B, whether that be a week, a year, or, uh, you know, 10 years, it helps to have somebody guide you, somebody who's further along down the path, somebody who thinks bigger than you, somebody who can stretch your vision, somebody who can hold you accountable, um, get you out of your comfort zone, you know, most of this, everything we dream of, everything we dream of, is typically on the opposite side of fear. And there's good fear and bad fear. Good fear keeps you from putting your hand on the red, red, hot red stove. But um, there's also debilit debilitating fear that's in our mind. That uh, is just a, an absolute roadblock. So, having mentors who stretch your vision and shine light on the path. Whether you know them or don't know the, know them, I think is is critical to make a to make a move in life. Yeah. So let's shift. Talk about stories and narratives, and I think you've kind of alluded to this quite a bit in terms of like you had a narrative that helped you retain the hope you had, um, and you mentioned the the um, the Holocaust. I mean, I heard once that a lot of the people that didn't survive they believed that they weren't going to be rescued and the people that survived believed they did. Right. That was the hope that you mentioned. Right. So how, what are some real and or fictional narratives that have shaped you as a person um, in this journey or just in your life overall? Well, I, <clears throat> wow, that's a great question. It's a pretty deep question too. What's, what's coming to mind is um, I think that, the greatest compliment I ever received in my life 
and I was probably 11 or 12 years old for my little league football coach. As he said, Glenn, you're the, the greatest person, not player, not football players, so you're the greatest person I've ever coached. And I mean, that just, that rings in my head yeah. every day. I'm 56 now, I still hear that every day. And I'm not exactly sure why he told me that, but it, it set in place an expectation, um, a foundation to grow upon. And um, I've lived with that ever since. I felt like I've, I should be doing something great with my life, not just um, walking through it or fumbling through it without any purpose. So that's yeah. been a great part of my narrative is somebody told me when I was very young that I was a really good person. And um, that that's, yeah, me. that's interesting. It's also a contrast to that self uh, contempt you were talking about. Isn't that an interesting? It is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And um, who knows, maybe if I haven't, if I hadn't been, um, you know, in this space of coaching and training and, and speaking since, gosh, 2004, maybe I wouldn't have been as mentally tough in that ICU. Um, mm -hmm. So my, you know, my personal narrative has been one of expectation of, um, of purpose, of knowing that I'm here to do something that's meaningful and impact the lives of as many people as I, as I possibly can. Yeah. What would you tell that person that's struggling right now? They feel like there is no purpose. They feel that nihilism, that darkness, that sense of meaninglessness, um, yeah, wondering if they're on their own. Yeah, that's a great question because, um, one of my dearest friends of 20 years took his life last September, mm. primarily over money. But it was deeper than that. I think money was just the was the straw that broke the camel's back. But he was a few years older than me, never got married, never had kids, didn't have that his own real sense of, of family. And I think uh, when things got tough financially, he, he gave up. And, um, and I miss him dearly every day. Um, but what's coming to mind right now, I saw a, a quick video, a reel of Gary Vaynerchuk a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about the odds that we're even alive. The odds that <laughs> one sperm connected with one egg and created you and I. And it was some astronomical number, like 400 trillion to one, some, some crazy number. So to somebody that uh, is feeling dark, I would say, know that it's literally it is literally a miracle that you're alive today, right now. Even as, as dark as things, things can seem, it's a miracle you're here. You're here for a reason. You've got some purpose. You're just off track. And yeah. we all get off track. I mean, we've all been, we've all been depressed at some level in our life and upset and um, anxious and fearful. But it's a freaking miracle that you're here. And you've got to buy into that and know that, you can come out of this darkness and somewhere, somewhere deep down in that adversity is, uh, is some opportunity. And that's what you really got to strive to find is what mm. am I going to learn from this? You know, in my first book, Stand in the Heat, I talk about the second law of thermodynamics, the greater the heat, the greater the expansion. And we know what time and pressure does to coal, it turns it into a diamond. Yeah. So if, you know, if you're in a dark place, if you're depressed, and I, you know, I, I can't judge anybody who am I to judge any man, 
I've never been clinically depressed, and I understand that's the worst. But there's there's got to be a reason you're still alive, even if you're struggling, yeah. you're suffering. Try to find out why did why did God or whatever you label that intelligence? Why did He put you here? Um, it's no accident. Yeah. Now you've been through a lot, and um, you've been hurt by people and organizations and systems. And some of that has been through your, your medical experiences. So what do you do to prevent yourself from becoming cynical? Mm. How do you protect well, yourself? I've got, got a bracelet on here from one of my doctors that I've had on for a year and a half. It says, keep going. Okay. So that's, yeah. That's some good advice. Just keep going. One foot in front of the other. I've probably, the last couple of weeks, overdosed on uh, content from David Goggins. Okay. I'm not familiar with him. No, uh, he's he's labeled the toughest, the baddest man on earth. <laughs> the toughest. He's the only human who's ever gone through SEAL training, Army Ranger training, and some okay. Air Force. So like training. a Jocko Willink kind of guy. Oh yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> anyway, you just can't quit. You can't quit. You can't make excuses. Um, you gotta have discipline. But I think it goes back to your the question before you got to figure out why you're here why you're why are you here why are you alive why did god put you on earth what is your purpose what are you supposed to do but you got to just keep putting one foot in front of the other and um you know heaven and hell is right here you know we create our own heaven and hell um this mind that's a that's a powerful tool it can keep us it can keep us in a state of bliss or it can keep us in hell by the way we think, by our, by the way our neurons fire. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of Dr. Joe Dispenza. Went to two of his retreats last year, and um, he talks about, you know, uh, quantum physics and how we get addicted to our emotions because of the chem every emotion that we have has a chemical associated with it. We literally get addicted to the chemicals, chemicals in certain emotions. Yeah, so, got to be aware. Got to kind of step outside of yourself and watch yourself. Be yeah. the observer of your own, of your own behavior and your own emotions and your own mental choices. Easier said than done, but it can be done. Talk about systems. I think you've kind of leaned on like when systems can go wrong and how they can cause harm, become tyrannical. When is a system good, and and how do you think about systems in your life and work? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. I mean, you and I know very well how important systems are and anybody who's read robert kiyosaki's second book the cash flow quadrant yeah sbi you know systems if you're going to shift from being self-employed or an independent contractor into a business owner you need teams and systems but i think you've got to have daily systems you got to have a, a morning routine that starts your day off right i mean some people wake up and they're because of their mental system their mental rehearsing mm. They're in a bad mood. Um, when my eyes open, my heat, well, first of all, when my eyes open immediately, I do a one-hour meditation. Um, for me, it's a combination of prayer, meditating, and affirming. But it's a specific meditation I do by Dr. Joe Dispenza. So my personal system in the morning is getting my mind right, thanking God every morning that I wake up, that I'm awake another day that he spared my life in the ICU, that I'm here for a very specific reason. So have a system, man, have a system for running your morning. 
Otherwise, yeah. days can get away like that. Mm, yeah. Do something or positive. Life, life can get away like that. Life can get away. Yeah. yeah Pink Floyd said the best. What happened in the past 10 years? They, they, they can get behind you so yeah. quickly. So have yeah. systems in your personal life. Have systems for, um, you know, I mentioned uh, your mission and, 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 and vision for your life. Um, I read a, a list of, I have a gratitude list that I read every morning. I have a list of affirmations that I read every morning. So I make sure that I start the day out in a powerful state in the right mindset. And, I, you know, I consider myself a pretty positive dude, but I'm human, Jason. You know, these, 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 these cosmic, these negative cosmic curveballs can come out of anywhere and knock me out of the right mental state and into a negative state. And before you know it, I'm yelling at somebody, either my yeah. wife or my son or myself. And I'm <laughs> yep. human. You know, it just, it just happens. Yeah. So have systems, have systems for keeping your attitude right. I mean, that's the mm. most important system you can have. Yeah. So what else? Any other parting words of wisdom? Anything about your story you didn't get a chance to share that you want to talk about? Hmm. Well, we've covered a lot here. Um, I guess I'd have to read my own book to see if I forgot anything. <laughs> what did I forget? So we talked about the ICU, the miracle that I made it out. God, praise God. Uh, the gift of cancer. Oh, this is crazy. Ooh, we've heard some phenomenal stories about cancer in the past year. It's amazing how many people who were um, healed five and 10 years down the road who consider cancer the greatest gift of their life. Yeah, I've heard That's that by some amazing. friends too. Not quite there yet. I can see yeah. it. But, um, you know, cancer is uh, not a death sentence. It's a warning light. But it's incredible to think that some people see it as their greatest gift because of the shift it helped yeah. them make. Um, well, and I... And it can differ too. Like I, both of my grandfathers died of cancer, um, but I know with um, at least one of one of them, it it kind of changed him in some really profound ways that that it took that to change him. Right. And yeah. um, and in that sense, I see although he's he's not with us anymore, I see that as a gift to both him, his marriage, and our family. Yeah. So, Absolutely. No, there's there's yeah. no question. You got to see the, got to see the silver lining in the cloud. Ultimately, you've got to see the advantage in the adversity, and that's 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 what we're talking. That's the bottom line of, of this interview and this conversation is the decision, the choice, to find the opportunity and the advantage in adversity. Yeah. So, and there's something about hearing, like your story, um, of adversity. Most of us haven't necessarily gone through that. Um, we may never go through that. I hope you don't. But your story can help us learn what you learned without us having to go through it. Yes. So that's one of the passions I think you have as a speaker. Tell us about your speaking and, and who might be a good fit to to um, to reach out to you. Say, hey, I want to hire Glenn to, to speak and tell this story to my organization or whatnot. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, anybody who will gather, um, anybody who has an interest in growing the mindset of their organization, I don't care if it's five people or 5,000, if you want to grow your people, you want to grow your teams, ultimately, such that it has an impact on 
Top line revenues. I mean, the purpose of a business is to attract a customer and make a profit. So, um, you know, I, I started knocking on doors, Jason, when I was 10 years old. So I've, <laughs> I've been in sales and business development my whole life. My father taught me when I was very young, nothing happens until the cash register rings. Um, so ultimately, I like to I like to speak to teams, revenue generating teams that could use a boost in their morale, in their mindset, in their mental toughness, um, in their ability to go out in the world and attract opportunity. Um, that's what that's what that's what really juices me is helping people think bigger and realize their greatest potential so they can have a bigger impact on the on the collective organization. Yeah. So that kind of brings up another question that I have for you, which is you kind of made this shift. Um, I think a lot of times we go through an experience like this and maybe we change for a moment, for a month, for a couple months. And then we just sort of move, we just sort of slide back into the old way of thinking. Sure. But it seems like for you, it was a, like a permanent shift um, in terms of the, the habits that you developed. Um, what is that? Am I observing that correctly? And, and uh, well, what do you think the difference is? Yeah, that's a very, that's a very correct observation. Yes. Most <laughs> of us do slide back. You know, behavior changes, behavior changes a bear, but when you've, uh, when you've stared death in the face, that'll change it. Um, I mean, case in point, I drink 64 ounces of fresh squeezed carrot juice every day, five yeah. pounds every day. And I've actually got a little bit of an orange hue to my <laughs> skin. It's not a tan yet. You can um, see really good in the dark. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm turning into a rabbit. And I'll drink carrot juice. I'll juice for the rest of my life. Um, I'm thin. You know, I don't recommend the weight loss program that I went through. But uh, hey, being thin is a key to being a centurion. I got that. Um, you know, I'm learning. Like I said earlier, I'm learning forgiveness. Um, that's a huge part of healing. As Dr. Joe Dispenza says, in order to heal, you must first change. Mm. So I'm trying to catch myself when I judge myself or get angry at myself or others in my immediate family. Yeah. Um, I'm going through a big forgiveness exercise right now where I forgive anybody and everybody whoever might have hurt me. It's yeah. pretty deep. Yeah. Um, you know, my parents got divorced when I was five years old. I'm sure there's some sure there's some yeah. trauma for that. So yeah. I'm trying to forgive me and my parents, both of whom are no longer with us. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, a lot of a lot of significant uh, permanent change has taken place with this dude. Yeah. Where, where can people find you if they are interested in hiring you or buying your book? What, where, where do they go? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, the book will be on Amazon. Uh, the Advantage of Adversity will be out in the fall. Stand okay. in the Heat is for sale. Okay. Um, still believe that's a valid. I think I've I think I've been standing in more heat in the past year than I did when I wrote that book. Okay. But um, yeah. So they, is that book on Amazon too? It is. Yeah, Stand in yeah, the Heat okay. is on Amazon. Um, okay. You can reach me at Glenn at glencarver.com. Okay. Uh, Glenn, Glenn with two N's. Okay. Uh, Glenn, and uh, Glenn social media um, or anything? Or uh, yeah, LinkedIn, got a, Twitter, about, Facebook? Yeah, about to launch. Hey, about to launch a YouTube channel. Okay. Um, about to launch a uh, the Advantage of Adversity podcast, video podcast like this. I'm very excited. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, just I'm really jazzed about A, being alive, and B, you know, launching this new brand and, and uh, contributing to humanity um, at the highest level possible for me. Yeah. Got it. Well, thank you, Glenn, so much for sharing your life with us today. Yeah, thank you, Jason. Thanks for the opportunity. And uh, can't wait to see you uh, live and in person as opposed to virtual here in the near term. <laughs> yes, yes, for sure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Share Life. For additional stories and systems to live better and work smarter, visit jasonscottmontoya.com. That's jasonscottmontoya.com. We look forward to having you listen in on the next episode of Share Life.